Welcome, listeners, to a new windswept episode of Save Station Radio. I am your host, Dustin, and with me is my co-host, Connor. Hey there. And this episode, we will be discussing the very, very pretty Ghost of Tsushima. Now, if you are unaware of this game... Which I don't blame you because it's a weird one. I I cannot believe we were talking about with our Last of Us two episode uh, about how cool it was to see multi you know these like huge corporations who are pretty risk adverse pouring money into pretty interesting and unique projects. It's wild to me that Sony put so much money and time into this weird uh, photography game where you just go take photos of cool stuff in ancient Japan. Pretty yeah, dope. like. The only thing we've seen close to this is like Nintendo 64 Pokemon Snap, but that was very much on rails. So to allow you to like explore this really pretty environment, take pictures, it's really ambitious. And I think Nintendo's going to have to step it up with that new Pokemon Snap game. Oh, for sure. It's it's cool to see competitors in the market. I love that competition. I'm sure 90% of the people who played the game never touched the photo mode and hate this conversation. Um, <laughs> of course, Ghost of Tsushima is an action game. Um, where you play as Jin Sakai, a samurai who is sort of dealing with tradition and uh, sort of losing his ties to tradition um, while in the midst of a Mongol invasion. This is a Sucker Punch Productions project. It is, uh, or they are rather, Probably best known for the Sly Cooper series of 3D platformers back on the PS2. They also did a little game on the N64 called Rocket Robot on Wheels. And of course, they did the infamous games on PS3 and PS4. Uh, It was released July 17th of 2020. Right alongside Paper Mario the Origami King. So, you know, just Nintendo and Sony Buttonheads. Yeah, sorry, Origami King. You didn't, didn't catch my eye enough. Yeah, seems like we made the right decision on that one. Uh, it had a Metacritic of 83. Really interesting, weird fact here that I think can be explained away pretty easily, but because of Metacritic's weird like new system where they won't let people reveal the game for like three days, it is technically the highest scoring user-reviewed uh, game for the generation at a 9.3, which is really interesting but i i do think that's probably just because this is the first game that system has been implemented on and of course they implemented that system after the uh just garbage human beings uh reviewing last of us part two before they had even played it so i I mean honestly good on them yeah well and the 83 i think is pretty pretty accurate honestly to what i think is good i really like that it's getting these high reviews and good feedback from the the players because this is such a weird out there project for sony that is not designed to appeal to a mass market so to get that kind of feedback that yeah gamers are kind of struggling for new releases at the moment that's not on the indie scene but i think this is like a pretty good first party game for the console and it's pretty late in the lifespan but it's still really good yeah for sure um, and I and I got that information from an episode of Kind of Funny Games Daily, um, if anybody's curious. Um, so this is Nate Fox on another Kind of Funny podcast, the Kind of Funny Games cast, which I would recommend people go listen to. That one he was on, they get into spoilers and stuff, and it's actually, he gives a lot of interesting information, which I'm sure we'll reference some of which here, but it, it'll still have value to you if you listen to this podcast. 
but he talked about how this game was inspired by Seven Samurai, of course by Akira Kurosama, and um, Yusaki Yojimbo, which is a, a comic created by um, Stan Sakai, which of course also doubles as the inspiration for the main character's name, Jin Sakai. So, pretty obvious ties there. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't heard about the Usagi Yojimbo before you put it in the notes here, and that's actually super cool. Um, totally. Obviously, this game takes a lot of inspiration from Akira Kurosawa. Um, there's even a Kurosawa mode when you start up the game that lets you play the entire game in black and white and in Japanese. I would not recommend that for your first playthrough because this game is so colorful. It's so pretty. Yeah, I struggled with that because the black and white mode, it's it's tuned right. It's not just, they didn't just take the image and, um, you know, just, just didn't pay attention to it. They clearly did. It looks really nice. It has a nice film grain effect as well. Um, and also, I didn't put it in here, but the Kurosawa... Uh, also, heads up, apologize for any mispronunciations with the Japanese names here. Uh, it's on me. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. But uh, the estate actually uh, gave it their approval, which is pretty cool. And yeah, yeah, what you were saying about this game being so colorful, it did make it. It did make me go, "Ugh, I can't, I can't do it." Like the colors here are so vivid and so cool that I just, I couldn't put it on. Um, but uh, before we get more into that, so this this game is Sucker Punch. Uh, the, the, so technically, their second full release on PS4. They had a little standalone DLC thing for Infamous Second Son called First Light, which is actually quite good if you haven't played it. But that first second son came out in 2014 and this came out in 2020 so there's a six-year gap there which is a little that's kind of a long gap for this game and uh interestingly we may have an explanation for that because 11 minutes of a sucker punch project called prophecy leaked online which you can go look at i pulled this from the Eurogamer story about it but it's it's everywhere you can find it on youtube and stuff and uh, this game it looks a lot like ghost of Tsushima, doesn't it it looks like it's like set in more of a steampunky Victorian London kind of world, uh, but the main character has a sword type weapon, and it looks very similar. The combat does, and he goes into stealth just like Jin does in Ghost of Tsushima. So it looks like this project just didn't work out, and they took that work and sort of transformed it into the samurai experience, which is cool. And I love getting that sort of peek into development. I love it when this stuff leaks. I find it fascinating sometimes a little sad sometimes it's sad to see what we could have gotten but i i really appreciated that and i would encourage our listeners if you're the same to go check out this video it's pretty neat the setting of this prophecy project looks to be very similar to um like dishonored i think is a very good comparison for what the setting looks like so this was what 2015 so that would have been a little bit after dishonored came out and then maybe towards around Dishonored 2 so they might have thought the setting was a little repetitious or a little mm. derivative they yeah there was a Victorian London-y stuff that was kind of in the air because that was around the time of Assassin's Creed Syndicate as well which was also and set in London. Order 1886 I believe is also around that time yeah. so that, that was kind of it's kind of a trend there so maybe they thought they wanted to do something a little more y- unique Bloodborne then, of course oh of course Bloodborne yeah, so that so would yeah, be I, around 2014 like, like, to I, I could 2016. See that being maybe maybe there was a feeling of this is a little samey. Yeah, and maybe we will see something from this project. You know, they could adapt it as a, you know, using the same combat engine, make a different game with a different story, um, do a thing where 
it's the same series just not tied in any way but either way we have ghost of tsushima and that's fine by me get people up to speed this like we mentioned earlier is a, is a action game samurai themed um i would say it's the closest to the assassin's creed games before they went rpg is how it feels like um it's got a very rudimentary but not a bad stealth system i i, I would actually call it accessible to put a positive spin on it i think it's pretty fun um it's got combat that has sort of a it's got it's got more in depth combat than those games. It has sort of a rock paper scissors element to it, where you have these different sword stances, and enemies will run at you with different styles of weapons, and you have to pick the right stance for the right weapon so you can deal with them properly. So it's got this sort of like puzzle combaty aspect to it, which is pretty fun. And you've got sort of gadgets and stuff too, like the Assassin's Creed games and like Batman games and stuff like that. Like you've got little kunai you can throw out. You've got You've got a sticky bomb, which is pretty fun. It kind of works like the plasma grenades in Halo or something like that. Uh, you've got you've got a bow and arrow. You've got uh, you've got like a like a bomb that acts like kind of a grenade. Uh, so you, so you've got a bunch of tools at your disposal, and it's it's uh, there's a lot of exploration in it. A lot of people cite Breath of the Wild as as sort of an inspiration to how the exploration works, though I would say that comparison's a little. Eh, to me, I, I think the thing about it that's pretty neat though is the the wind guides you. You don't have a mini map, so where the wind is blowing is where you're meant to go. Which did take me a couple missions to get used to. I don't know about you, but I found myself going off track a lot on accident, and then wind would blow in the opposite direction, and be like, oh, I have to go back uh, until I kind of learned the parameters of how that stuff works. I was a person that would frequently just gust the wind which you can easily do by flicking up on the touchpad uh i just did that like all the time just to make sure i was going in the right direction uh it is really cool i like how they've adapted this thing to be as unintrusive as possible you know instead of having a video game ass compass or mini map or anything it's like pretty simple you have just a general direction to go that way and then if there's collectibles around you there will be a golden bird that will show up and if you follow that it'll lead you to the collectibles which i think is super cool and does not break the immersion of this world at all no it's it's a really cool thing and also um fireflies will also indicate your path too um which i i, I thought was i thought all that stuff was so nice and like it it was just very pleasant and really helped to show off the art of the game because that, that is the thing this is an exceedingly pretty game not from a technical aspect i actually think it's weird how untechnically impressive this game is it, like it like w looks worse than i don't know horizon zero dawn which came out a couple years ago at this point but art wise it's absolutely gorgeous and i think making that decision to drop a a mini map in favor of this more naturalistic approach to guiding the player really helps to show off the world and environment and it it really worked for me oh yeah it's and you can make some comparisons that there's a story reason for the wind guiding you and 
that's also super cool. It brings the gameplay and the story closer together, but the main thing is the lack of a HUD in the overworld, I think is just super great. And it shows the developers confidence in their art style and in their players a belief in this world to say, Hey, here's the, we're not going to give you the tools like a compass or a mini map because we acknowledge that you're smart enough to figure this out and it'll really immerse you into the environments more. I also love that it's not like the characters and everything are still hyper realistic and all that, but a lot of the environment still has a very graphic novel, not cell shaded, but it has a lot of those like brushstroke style it all has a, yeah. It it definitely looks like 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 artists touched it. It's not trying to be photorealistic. It has a, its own art style. Yeah, I think especially it's noticeable with the tall grass, where you get this like very brushstroke stylized uh, sweep to it, and yeah. I think that's beautiful. I think it's gonna stuff like that is gonna look better, like twenty years down the road than something that's hyper realistic. You know, you look back to games like uh, Wind Waker versus Twilight Princess. Wind Waker still looks better because it's so stylized. And not to say Twilight Princess looks bad, but it has aged. So having that look, in addition to using the PS4's capability and like facial rendering and all that to bring the story forward, I think was a really great idea. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. So let, let's let's get into our sort of mini reviews, mini thoughts before we get into a more spoilery section. Uh, so, w- what did you think, Connor? What did you think of the game as a whole? How did you find it? Yeah. So, admittedly, this is not my kind of game. I'm not a huge fan of the expansive open world collectathons that usually come out of Ubisoft. I know the Assassin's Creed games are very much like that, but things like Horizon Zero Dawn, they're just not my kind of thing. But this, I mean, the story especially really grabbed me in a way that I didn't expect it to. And the gameplay with the sort of rock, paper, scissors combat, and then the stealth and the way those combine, uh, it really kept me going throughout the total playtime. And I didn't complete it like you did, but I definitely enjoyed my time playing this. Yeah, so as far as myself, uh, I am very much a fan of big open-world collectathons, and I'm glad you used that word to describe them, because to me, they always feel like sort of the big boy cousins of 3D platformer collectathons to me, and I think that's why I love them so much, is I just I just like hanging out in a world and exploring it and finding new stuff and you know getting upgrades and getting rewarded for that, too, especially, I think, when a game like this can do that, which this game does do very well. Like, everything you find does have a purpose. You, you know, Jin gets stronger just from doing the side activities so it feels like you're being constantly rewarded for participating which is always a good thing and a positive to these kinds of games yeah and a lot of that was like the materials i was always felt inclined to go out of my way to pick bamboo sometimes in the middle of the story scene and then it would look a little awkward but i always went after that stuff because that's more resources i could use to upgrade my character and that's 
that's the game doing its job of keeping me engaged in this pretty large open world yeah uh honestly and, and that's the cool thing about it right if you're telling me you enjoyed the game quite a bit without you know doing what i did and 100%ing it which by the way i did get the platinum and you really enjoyed the game and i really enjoyed the game 100%ing it that means the game did its job and it catered to both play styles which is pretty impressive and good because a lot of open world games do fail at that um i often find a lot of times like my inclination is to collect everything and a lot of open world games just kind of don't reward you for doing that and this game seemed to always have something else to find or to reward you with which is good good on you sucker punch thank you <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I um, I like I said earlier, I was talking about the combat. I do really like it. I like the stealth, simple, but I think it's effective. The only thing I want to make note of that I have super negative about, I think the first couple hours of this game are bad, weirdly bad. Uh, I don't know how you felt about it, but I was kind of like, oh my god, why? What happened? And late, and it just it got better and better as the game went on, and eventually I ended up really liking it, obviously, but. Those first couple hours are just kind of atrocious, and I I honestly don't know what happened. Did you feel that way? Um, I didn't. I didn't feel that it they were atrocious, but they were definitely sort of unbalanced. And I know a lot of these upgrade system games have this trouble of introducing you with weaker enemies, but then you level up and you have to kind of accommodate to them becoming over leveled. But those first couple hours are needlessly difficult i find that it doesn't ease you into the combat especially you know you have pretty much all of the enemy types uh this the four stances are great against all of those enemy types but at the start you only have the one so when you get shield guys or spear guys then it's really challenging to deal with them and i don't know it just didn't give you the tools or the the easing into the mechanics that would have helped a new player jumping in once you get past those first couple hours it like is so much better after that yeah totally and i think part of that is just getting used to its systems um one of my major critiques here is that it doesn't have a lock-on system and this is a melee combat game which just it feels wrong it does it feels so wrong it granted again i feel like by the end of the game it was fine i i got completely used to it and almost never made mistakes you you know you are you you get used to like oh he's just going to attack the person in front of him so it does make sense and in one of the podcasts i was listening to one of i can't remember if it was nate fox or somebody else was talking about how they didn't include a lock-on system because they wanted to make sure you had groups of enemies around you and you they wanted you to be able to bounce from target to target super fast which i get and thinking about that critically i do get it and i i think yeah, sometimes at the, towards the end game, Jin would still lunge at the wrong guy I didn't mean to, but it was rarely an issue by the end. Um, that being said, that is not the case when it comes to throwables, like the kunai and the sticky bombs. I Some of that was unforgivable. Sometimes I would be meaning to throw a sticky bomb at the guy in front of me, and Jin would just like throw it off to the left. I'd be like, well, thanks, that's useless. But um, yeah, I, for the most part, you do get used to stuff like that. I also think that this game struggles with it's camera in tight environments and so like fighting if there's an if you're happen to be fighting indoors move outdoors as fast as you can because the camera gets snagged on stuff which is weird for a 2020 game i i don't know what's happening there most games typically just let the camera face through the wall and show you what's happening beyond it this game's like weirdly hung up on that i i don't understand what that decision was and actually, I wonder if that comes from the infamous games, because those are more third-person shooter-like 
So I, I wonder if it's just them not being used to making a melee combat system. Uh, but that that I found a bit frustrating as well. Oh yeah. So the main thing was the the lock on. I really missed, especially in those opening hours. But even towards the end of the game, I was like, well, you know, maybe I want to prioritize a target. I think there's ways you can do that sort of crowd control combat, which is definitely what they're going for here. Uh, I think you could do that with a lock-on. So if you do have a threat, a threatening target, maybe it's a archer that's off in the distance that you want to take care of, or there's a big brute that you want to focus on, having that focus on dealing with this threat while managing the rest of the enemies around you, I could see working, but not having the lock on to help you out there is a little little tough and it especially gets tough when you get to constantly switching your stance when you get enemies of all all types circling you and you want to bounce between enemies like the game wants you to and the way it is kind of built around then you have to constantly switch your stance and that kind of gets like it breaks up the pace of the combat in a weird way I think if you had that lock-on or just a more consistent targeting system, then you could switch to a stance, focus on that foe, and then maybe you'll bounce to something else if it becomes a bigger threat. It just kind of bothered me the whole time. And then, yeah, if you get close to a wall at all, the camera just can like get really hung up on it. So I would have to manually turn the camera, which if you have a lock-on, I don't think would be as much of an issue. But honestly, this is one of those games that is, the button layout is so, like, complicated, and it uses every button on the controller and then some, so it's like, yeah, I would love a lock-on, but where do you even put it on the controller? They even use the touchpad for a gameplay purpose. Yeah, well, one of my biggest, like, one of the things I was gonna bring up was, I wish there was a sort of, like, a quick quick equip swap option for the outfits because the outfits do different things and you get a bunch of them but then i was like i don't know where i would put them <laughs> like it they use every button on the controller and so like they're kind of trapped and it's i, I kind of feel bad for them because i don't know what i would do or what the solution to that would be even i do want to nitpick one gameplay detail that i found pretty frustrating because it didn't seem to work for me a good amount of the time um there's a mechanic in here you get a, a chain assassination mechanic where you can uh, assassinate one guy and then the camera will turn and you can assassinate another guy real quick and then do a third one. I found that that mechanic worked for me about 60% of the time. Like a good 40% of the time I felt like I would go up to a dude who was right next to two other dudes and I would never get the option, which was weird. Uh, did you run into anything like that? Because I that was kind of frustrating. Yeah, I think that mechanic worked for me about 50% of the time. Um, the biggest problem is when you want to chain assassinate from jumping off of a roof, because then you jump. And the chain assassinate button, which is triangle, is also the heavy attack. So if you don't get the prompt, then Jin will just heavy attack the enemy. And if you're trying to be stealthy, that's the last thing you want to do. Most of the time, if this happened, I would just load the checkpoint because it's easier to stay in stealth. <laughs> so I was like, okay, if a bunch of enemies start swarming me, I'll just reload the checkpoint and do the encounter again. Because the checkpoints are pretty forgiving. They're pretty frequent. 
so that wasn't an issue at all it's something that i would do with like last of us and last of us 2 where if you get spotted and you don't want to you could just reload the checkpoint and stay stay in stealth but yeah it was definitely frustrating when you want to use this cool assassination mode and it just doesn't work yeah and i think that's honestly the most frustrating part is it looks dope i want to see that cool ass animation let me do it and i just think that like it's never clear about when it'll work and when it won't and i just feel like it just it's random it's it's really annoying i think this is sort of an easy fix too because the chain assassinate is mapped to triangle whereas the regular one is mapped to square and it doesn't seem like that's a big issue i think if you just did everything with square so if there was an option to chain assassinate you assassinate the one guy and then it just slows down time and points to the next guy and you could just push square again i think that would be a lot easier and then if it didn't work you would still be in stealth you wouldn't heavy attack a guy i don't know what do you think about that solution it's it's something that just seemed weird when it didn't quite i feel like click if, if you ran into a situation where you have a bunch of dudes in a room though you wouldn't want that camera to activate because that would slow down the gameplay significantly for you to as, deny these inputs so i can see why they wouldn't do that but it they needs to be a fix they either need to like because it, it genuinely feels broken to me half the time it doesn't feel like i'm misunderstanding the windows or whatever it just it doesn't feel right but if I am misunderstanding the windows, they need to make those clear. And I don't know how they do that, but it just, it never felt like it worked correctly for me. segment here about the photo mode because i absolutely loved it i i took so many photos in this goddamn game it's so pretty and they give you so many fun options they there's so many like cool filters you can do the black and white kurosawa stuff you can do like you can make everything red you can make everything at sun sunbreak all the time you can change the weather on the fly you can change the time of day the direction the wind is blowing particles there's so many cool things you can do it's it's what's one of my favorite photo modes of this gen honestly did you get into it much uh i didn't honestly just because that's not the kind of player i am i absolutely love the look of this game and the cinematography in cutscenes especially is amazing and then when you get certain a certain ability later in the game and that really accentuates the aesthetic of the game it's phenomenal but I'm just not the kind of person that goes deep into that. I did um, mess around with it and get a couple really great shots. And the amount of options is amazing. Um, if you want to see how how deep Dustin got into this, check his Twitter. Because <laughs> that's all it's been for the last couple months. It's true. It's a lot of fun. Uh, quick tangent. F- fuck the PS4's typing interface. <laughs> I stopped naming photos a long time ago because I hate typing on that thing. It's so annoying. There's got to be a better solution. Oh my god. Do you use the motion typing or the D-pad typing? I, I use the D-pad typing. Um, 
And part of that's just because I'm visually impaired, so I have to get pretty close to it. So the motion control, I just found the cursor just go wild all over the place when I leaned forward. So it just yeah, it ended up being more efficient for me to just use the D-pad typing. I just none of it works well. Like I want to be able to pre-upload the picture to my phone somehow and then just use the Twitter app. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. Dumb. This is something I want on the Switch too, where you could just send the photo to your phone and then choose how to post it later, or just save it as a Twitter draft and. Like even if you could just do that in the PlayStation app, it would it would, it would fix half my problems. Yeah, this is not this episode the game's fault at all but no no not at all but it's related i wanted to complain <laughs> all right ps5 come on give it to us yeah for sure uh i because i got so in depth i, I do have some requests for sucker punch for the next photo mode uh, please in your next one include a camera grid i would greatly appreciate that and also let me adjust the depth of field independent of the main character I found I wanted to take pictures of the environment and that was really hard to do because you'd have to position Jin in the environment to get those photos. And if I didn't want him in the photo, it just was a little more complicated than I wanted. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love this photo so much. I, I love so the options that you can change stuff like the depth of the field or the focal length and all of that yeah. is crazy. You can even change like jin's facial expression or whether or not he's wearing his character mask and if you really want to customize how it looks it's it's just really great that all of these options are there because the game looks great and they want you to appreciate it and if you do appreciate it enough you could just start taking pictures it's also kind of weird that this option is mapped to right on the (laughs) d-pad is that weird or are they like Yo, check out how pretty this game is. We put it on the face of the controller. Use it. <laughs> I feel like that that's their confidence in it. Which is, I'm glad you brought that up. Because, yeah, I feel like they were like, it's right here. Use it. It's so accessible. Use it. <laughs> I feel like they're just, like, wanting you to use it so bad. Yeah, and I mean, you could use it as a gameplay tool. I found myself using it a couple times to scout out enemy locations just a little ahead of my character. You just pause the game with the right d-pad and then you just move the camera forward and kind of scope out and that's that's cool that that's there i just feel like this could have been one of the things that you put on the swipe instead (laughs) if you needed like a quick swap or anything but whatever this control scheme works perfectly well yeah totally all right, uh, is there anything else you want to know before we walk into spoilers? Oh, you know what? What did you think of the music? Uh, the music's great. I I love the soundtrack. I was listening to it earlier today. It's very, it's very orchestral, and I think that was a great choice. It gives it a very cinematic feel, which is what they're going for. I also love the inclusion of a lot of the traditional Japanese instruments. Um, there's the... I'm forgetting the name of it. It's like a Saisama. It's a traditional Japanese lute. Uh, there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of the, the Japanese few, which is a bamboo flute. I mean, Sakai himself has a flute that he carries around you could play. But the way that that is woven into the soundtrack is phenomenal. Um, there's a moment later in the game that just really is brought forward with the music and it really hit me hard on that one but i love that the the soundtrack also just 
knows when to step back for a lot of us the exploring of the open world it's just ambient noise and i think that's a great decision like i know a lot of games have been doing this recently but just letting the the sounds of nature around you be the only sounds of the game i think is just really really great when exploring yeah agreed i i absolutely loved it as well and and then that it does extend to the sound design i thought it was sounded really cool and like hearing Jin draw his sword and all that stuff it was it it was done like immaculately i want to shout out all the characters in this game i think they're all pretty great i was thinking about it i am genuinely unless i truly love a story of somebody who forgets character names a lot like that stuff just doesn't stick with me and i was thinking about it uh today and i was like i i genuinely remember every major character's name <laughs> Which is, like, really cool, and I appreciate it. The only one I didn't remember was uh, Sensei Ishikara, but that's only because, for the most part, Jin refers to him as Sensei. So, like, I I thought that that stuff stuck out, and I really liked... There's a lot of, like, side quests with the characters, a lot of character-specific ones, and those I thought were all great. I liked learning about them. I thought they all had fun relationships, and for the most part, pretty good dialogue. And uh, there's a couple of characters in here, too, that, like... Like, we were talking about uh, Abby on The Last of Us 2 and about, like, body types and certain types of characters that aren't represented in video games a lot. There's a there's a character, like, like half a spoiler, kind of. Uh, there's a character in here who is a, an old woman samurai who fucking rules. And, like, that kind of shit is so cool to see. And I love seeing that that's those people represented in games like this. Or just action media in general. I think it's kind of rare and, and cool to see that stuff. Yeah. Well, and another point to that is that this is this game is very, very heavy into the Japanese setting. You know, it takes place on the Japanese island of Tsushima, and all of the character names are Japanese. I actually played the game in Japanese because, I don't know, the dialogue just kind of feels more natural for this kind of story in the environment it's like oh yeah they're speaking japanese that makes a lot more sense i don't speak japanese so i had the subtitles on of course but i think that's super cool but yeah the only character name i forgot was kenji and that's only because he shows up pretty late into the game and then i didn't do a side quest so it's like i kind of forgot about him but all of the rest of them are super memorable and their story quests are amazing at fleshing out their characters and giving them character arcs and whether that folds into the main story is something you can discuss later but i love that these characters are so memorable while mainly serving the purpose to support Jin's journey yep completely agree and also shout out for the american uh for the english dub or dub english version japanese dub i guess technically in this case which i know that threw some people off that the limp seeking is uh isn't tuned to the japanese dub i get why that would disturb some people but also i also get why they wouldn't do that <laughs> yeah it's that's a lot, a lot of animation work and it is an american team at the end of the day so i, I don't think that that's fair to level out against them but um, yeah and i played all... the entire game in japanese with the weird english lip syncing and I could tell you it takes like a couple hours, but you get completely used to it. It's, yeah, it's totally like fine. Yeah, it's like watching a foreign movie or whatever. Sometimes. Yeah, it's just weird when that seems like the native language and it's not. But 
yeah, I, I I totally understand the dissonance people are having. I think it's fair, but also I I, I get I get why you wouldn't animate. Everybody I've watched for enough two foreign languages. films that I'm fine. Yeah, um, but shout out to Sucker Punch. It seemed like they had an all Japanese cast, which was cool to hear that they they did all that stuff right and they worked with a ton of consultants to make sure they were doing that stuff right. And it's, that's just it's just good to hear. Yeah, well, and they're very respectful of the culture because it could easily slip into being appropriative or, you know, taking something that they're not really, it's not their stories to tell, but, you know, they're very respectful. They get a lot of that story consultant to make sure they're telling these stories and the environment right and all that. And I think it turned out really great. I think there was an article that said the director of the Yakuza series even was like, this turned out great. So, you know, it's, it's done well. Yeah. Apparently it's selling very well in Japan and getting high review scores. So I'm sure that they're stoked about that. I, I'm sure that that's a pretty big deal for the team. So yeah, we're going to get into some spoiler stuff and you know, I, I, I would recommend the game to you. If you like these kinds of games, if you do like Assassin's Creed or maybe the Batman games, like, like there's, this game actually in terms of story has a very batman feel i will say jin jin is like samurai batman so if you're into that <laughs> I, w- I i think it's kind of cool yeah um so you know get away get out we're gonna talk samurai shit yeah definitely play this game this game is i'm sure it'll drop in price pretty quickly it have it has it been said that this will get a next gen upgrade i don't believe so but sony's doing that thing where they're like the top 100 games or something on PS4 getting next gen enhancements. So I'm sure that this will have improvements on PS5. I don't think they've said specifically it'll get like a port though. Okay. I mean, if so then I'm sure it'll it'll stay relevant if it gets that PS5 upgrade, which I'm sure it will. If not, it'll drop in price really quickly, but generally these games drop in price at least like $15 after launch so you know wait for a price drop if you're kind of curious if it looks good to you then definitely go play it it's very good First horse? Yeah. Well, yeah. First level. There are that second th- there horse. Are three is... horses. Yes. And fuck that middle horse. Doesn't even get a name. <laughs> Does not get a name. Uh, first horse, I believe, was Norio. And I picked the brown. No, Norio is one of the character names. No, not Norio. What is that? Nobu. Nobu. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Norio is was... the warrior monk. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Nobu. <laughs> My first horse was. Uh, Kaze and he was the black one which I was like cool because like I think it said it said what they meant I think Kaze was shadow or something like that yeah that's what my third horse was the I think Nobu was trust or truth one of those it's been a little bit since I've actually played this game so <laughs> apologies on that but let's start at the invasion at Canada Beach Canada Beach this story takes place in 1274 in the Isle of Tsushima, 
and the Mongolian invasion comes over to, you know, invade as they want to do. And the samurai are these proud warriors, you know, they're samurai, but they don't, they want to fight their enemies head on and storming the beach, which is a great opening to the game. It's very, you know, high energy and kind of teaches you the mechanics in a little bit. And then, you know, it doesn't do a great job of that before you're thrown into it, but uh, basically, they get their asses handed to them. <laughs> yep, it's uh, it's very gory. I was like, damn, this is brutal. I did like how the game starts. Um, it's one of those, like, God of War did it too, where it, it doesn't really have a title screen. It just kind of starts at the first shot, which was kind of a nice effect. Um, and and I, I, I liked this first set piece, you know, for as much shit as I give the couple, first couple hours of this game. I thought it was cool. It was brutal. Sets up the stakes pretty pretty nicely. Um, I, I like the context that Jin is basically the last surviving samurai from this fight. That's cool. It yeah, it's just of... him and his uncle, and his uncle is captured, which is Lord Shimura. And Jin gets... He tries to fight the Khan head-on, and he gets completely you know, just wrecked by that fight, and then left for dead after he gets thrown off of a bridge. But... He's nursed back to health by Yuna, and then that's who you get to play as for the rest of the game. So, what did you think of the Khan as a villain? I mean, he's a he's a villain. Um, he is a villain ass villain. He's a he's pretty one note, honestly. Yeah, there's not totally. a lot of depth. He tries to play up this, oh, we're not so different, and oh, we both just want peace and whatever. But it's like, eh, you know. <laughs> It's just standard villain talk and whatever. It is. I like the actor, I think, gives a great performance, at least in the English version. It is one of the small complaints I have. I do wish the Mongols had gotten some sort of character, something to make us see where they're coming from. I get that they're invaders, so, you know, it's easy just to make them villains, and that's fine. I, I just kind of wish we'd gotten something, because it does just feel like, oh, these are just enemies to enemy to kill because they're enemies <laughs> um yeah well and I, I think that's completely fine because they're not the focus and i think it honestly acts as a, just a just a catalyst to bring all of the other characters stories forward um the main thing is like the ishikawa and his his response to his student turning against him all of that is brought you know, to a head because she's helping the Mongols. So the Mongols sort of just act as a catalyst to start these stories and they don't need to be anything more than that, which I think is totally fine. It is fine. I just feel like that's what can take a good action adventure story to a great one is when you do kind of have some perspective on all sides of a conflict. Um, and, and, you know, that's just my take on it. I, I do feel like I kind of like to know I kind of like to have a feeling of, is this completely right? Because there are moments in the game where Jin is just straight up slaughtering fools. And aside from the poison moment, I never felt like he was in the wrong once. And granted, you know, again, like I said, these are invaders. So it, it's hard to feel any sort of sympathy for them. I, you know, that's that's fine. But just some sort of perspective I would have liked to hear. You know, but th that's maybe me expecting a little too much from what is supposed to be kind of a popcorny action adventure thing. Yeah, well, and it's a samurai film and 
in a ways it's a western film as well so it's like you know you just kind of yeah you have a bad guy you gotta beat and that's i mean that's a very western story as well it's just the big villain you gotta fight but i think it it definitely works for this kind of game i think it works and, and like i said earlier i think the um the english actor for the con is great he's he's a he he talks a lot of shit and it is pretty fun and by the end of the game he becomes like just intimidating in form and methods that you know motivation aside he's he has a commanding presence and i think that really works in his favor oh for sure for sure um you, you know they i think they do a good job with you know it's a it's a tried true and tried uh, archetype but he's a very big man he's very intimidating right he's like bigger than everybody else and he, he just looks like he punch your face in so it, it is it they do do a good job with that what did you think of the taka stuff i i did feel like that that did a good job of ratcheting up the stakes and making me like oh i fucking hate this asshole I, it's a brutal scene and i think it it did work for me specifically talking about the death of taka yeah for sure i think that definitely does raise the stakes and honestly i really loved taka so it was a really sad moment yeah so the way that taka's death pushes yuna into the plot and you know ratchets ratchets up the stakes before the third climactic act i think that really works but man i really liked him oh for sure but he's definitely the kind of character you walk on you're like hmm you're not long for this world are you (laughs) I know, and then he wants to get involved in the missions. And you're the sweet character who's like, you're you're not you're not making it. <laughs> it's too nice for this war. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Shout out to Yuna. Yuna's a great character. I I really enjoyed her presence in the game. I think it's kind of wild that they have that series of side quests with her as side quests. I feel like that those are like pretty endearing in terms of like her character and you giving her sort of a motivation for who she is and feeling in her backstory, especially for such a major pivotal character. She's kind of your, your best bud basically. Yeah. It does that a lot because in the first act, this game is split up into three sections, each with a different part of the Island being available in that first section. When you're first recruiting people to your team, like uh, Ishikawa and Lady Masako and the, the straw hat Ronins getting them on your team requires you to do a couple side quests with them but then when you get into the second area you can continue those stories but it's all optional and i feel like maybe a couple of them could have just been in the main plot and it would have been good yeah because i I do feel like this plot does suffer a bit from just um sort of predictability like there are a couple of moments that got me but for the most part this is such a straightforward story having some of those side quests interwoven here probably would have helped a little bit just to give it more personality like the lady masako stuff is so good i i want more people to see it and i just worry that people will skip it because it's optional and i, I think that like the sensei stuff and the the norios honestly any of the character the care the named character side quests are those are all great and even the kenji ones and i i wish that they were kind of I don't know. It's hard because I understand from an open world perspective, you want to give the player choice and option, but also it's just, it is such a straightforward story. And that stuff does help to give you more context for the characters participating in it that I kind of wish it was just, I kind of wish people would, you know, more people would experience it. Yeah. Well, and they could weave that into the story by being, cause it does feel weird if you don't do them. I was a person that did a majority of these after I finished the game. 
or before I got to the final boss, but you know, when I was pretty much done with the rest of the story and it feels a little weird where like take lady Misako, her entire clan was murdered and she's looking for the person that hired the group to kill them. And then anyone else responsible and she wants revenge on that. So you do the first one, you start that plot going and then you could just skip the rest of it. And at the end of the game, she's still chill. Like, well, <laughs> you would think that if Jin agreed to do this, it would be something like, hey, I thought you said you were going to do this. Why don't we go do that? Like they could do a couple mandatory side missions to keep them in your favor. Okay, so that's actually uh, that's actually worse than I thought. Because to me, it seems set up to where like, I thought that those characters only showed up at the end because they did their side quests. So they showed up anyway? That's yeah, awkward. they show up anyway. They, yeah, that's weird. I mean, they agreed to join your cause and fight the Khan and then on the agreement that you'll help them after the Mongols are gone. But it is kind of weird that it's not something like like Mass Effect where you have to do their character stuff to decide who gets to be in the final battle and then you get a boost by, on that. It's like, no, eh, you just get your characters there. And then if you help them, that's more story that you get to experience. Huh. Yeah. Because it did, it did provide in that final battle when like Norio ran off. I'm like, no, be careful. <laughs> like, like it did make me care about them as characters. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, because I also I did not do Kenji or Norio's character quests. Just I got tired of the mission structure, so I didn't go after those. But in the end, they still join up and they're big parts of the final battle. So I think that's all pretty scripted. Yeah. So, of those side quests, which was your favorite? Of those sort of character-specific ones, at least. Um, I really liked... I really liked Yuna's as a... a kind of a twist on the revenge plot of... You know, she's doing the things that all went wrong for her. Which is a little weird if you try and do some of those after Taka's dead. Because she talks as if he's not, and... Eh, that's where it could be a little mandatory but i I liked that even though that one was only like four missions long my favorite has to be lady masako's though oh yeah shout out to samurai grandma one of the most hype moments in this game is that one where she's gonna kill the dude and you turn on her and then you start fucking dueling it's so hype dude and it's like one of the coolest duels in the game where the sunset's setting and you're the red leaves oh it's so good and the, the Mongols well, and come up while you're fighting. it's a person you don't want to fight. Yeah, and it's just like, oh shit, shit, this has all gone bad. And the fucking battleground is being set on fire. It's like, everything is at 11, and somebody's hooker punch went, we're just going to make this the coolest shit ever. <laughs> it's so We're going to go extra hard on this side quest that is completely optional. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite moments in the whole game. And, and I just, I enjoyed her story so much, because she is a... She's a cool character who, throughout her story, you kind of start to feel like you're going very, very far in a way that's like, I get it. It, it honestly feels like you know. It, I think maybe just coming off the Last of Us, it's it's similar. But you're you're just kind of like, this is. I don't know where this is gonna go if you're if Jin is gonna kill you at the end because you are going so far in this. Yeah, your revenge is a little unhinged at this point, so yeah. you need to rein it in. It's like the collateral damage is starting to make this not worth it. <laughs> But yeah, it's um, it's good stuff. Like I, I really enjoyed her her quests a lot. 
Um, I also think the the stuff with the sensei and um, Tomoe was, was, was so good. That stuff was so interesting, and I felt like it kept me along and kept me hooked. Because I, I, I never got a clear, like, like is the sensei the bad guy here? Like, that's what it kept making me think, and it was just, it was really interesting. Yeah, well, and especially towards the end of that, when you get to, I mean, spoilers, yeah, you're in the spoiler section because you beat the game, but if you haven't played the side quests, you should go do some of those as well. But the end of that quest, when you are just out in the snowy forest with Tomoe as she's, like, picking up her traps, that was super cool. And then the twist right at the end when it's like, actually, this is Tomoe, it's not just some random lady. I was like, oh, damn, this is actually, like, really good character building for this character. And then when she leaves in the end, it's like, okay, yeah, she wasn't really all that evil that she was made out to be. Her and Ishikawa are not perfect people, and you get the sense of that over the whole side quest. So letting her leave at the end is very much like, okay, go lead a better life and not be forced by the Mongols to train them and all that. So I really loved all that stuff. Totally. Um, and, and I do want to talk about sort of the non-character side quests there there's a lot of fetch questy stuff in there but there was a couple that really stood out there's one in the third act of the game where you get to this village that's like almost abandoned and there's only a couple dudes left and you talk to them and you're like something's off and you go looking for people and you find like blood on the ground and then you eventually go like half a mile out of the village and find like a cabin where people are just captured to the mongols and you learned that basically this village sold out these people it's really cool shit like they there's there's occasionally those side quests strike gold as well and yeah i just think it's kind of a shame that most people won't experience them but that's also just open world games so you know what moment were you talking about with the music um so that's the moment when you save one second i gotta find the town name the um something rebellion those dudes the town that's under siege uh yes the yurikawa township yes that group of like three missions is great yeah but at that moment right at the end of that where you save yurikawa and you like rally them up and then they all bow to you as that music plays god that moment's so good (laughs) yeah and that's also right before you hit your fucking devil trigger oh yeah the the ghost dance yeah and and that's that's also the first moment where enemies will just start running from you which just feels so cool and horrifying but awesome also shout out to the scene in those missions i can't remember which mission it's part of but it's one of those where you and yuna just start drinking yeah you're on the watchtower before the invasion's supposed to take place and you're just drinking chatting super it's a really nice moment super cash but yeah that moment where you, the troops get rallied and then they all bow because you've saved them and you know the moment also with the town that has the forge it's like where you're setting up the forge for taka and yuna gives the speech about the ghost and the the vengeful spirit and all that and that's where he gets the the title of the ghost of tsushima uh that scene is really great as well totally let's talk about the uncle and the in June's relationship with his uncle, because I think it's great. I think it, you know, I think it is. It is the, what the central conflict of this game really is, which is sort of Jin bashing against tradition. And I think all that stuff is handled super well, and I, I love it because his uncle's, you know, very traditional samurai. He's the lord of the 
the island or whatever. And um, the Jito, yes. He's so traditional and he's taking on the Mongols in a traditional fashion. And Jin is like, hey, this was all great before we had these invaders to fight with different tactics and now it's not working anymore. I don't know if this stuff's accurate because everything we learn about American history is not, but um, it kind of reminds me of, were you ever taught that like a part of the reason why the Revolutionary War went so well for the Americans was because they were no longer lining up and fighting like the British were? Like it kind of makes me think of that, you know? Yeah, I definitely feel that. Like, Like it definitely, it's definitely this like, this thing where Jin is like, Hey, no, we need to we need to stoop to their level almost to to handle this properly, or we're gonna be wiped out. Like they're so clearly killing us. They've killed all, almost all of our major warriors except for the Ronin, who they've now recruited. So we we have to stoop down to their level. And I just love that conflict and the way they butt heads. And even in that first island when um, he's captured, and we keep getting cutaway scenes to the Khan mocking him, and the Khan's talking about how Jin is you know, stabbing his warriors in the back and his uncle's like, no, <laughs> you know, he would never do that. He works with honor. Like all that stuff is really cool. And, um, I, I love how it comes to head with the poison stuff where Jen is like, we're just kind of, we're going to poison them. And I, it's, it's a nice, really nice, like horrifying scene where his uncle rolls up and they're all dying and it's pretty brutal. And like, it, it's a little cheesy that he has like the adoption paperwork or whatever, but it worked for me. And, and I also do like how that moral kind of like, kind of continues too um, with with some of the next scenes when Jin realizes that they have that the Mongols have learned how to make that poison and are now using it against them. It's I think it's all really cool. Yeah, I definitely think that the central conflict here is with Jin and Lord Shimura, who is his new father figure after his actual dad died many years ago who is Kazumasa Sakai. I wrote his name down so I wouldn't forget it. But all of that where Jin does look up to his uncle and the entire first act is him, you know, trying to save him, but he knows that he's completely outnumbered and in a lot of cases outskilled. So with the help of Yuna, he learns the stealth tactics and begins to adapt those into his fighting style and this is you know a gameplay reason to give you stealth options in an action game that's fine too but it really plays into the story of you know fighting with honor and Jin sort of ditching that to protect the island uh when you get to that poison moment in before act three it's set up that lord shimura is sending all of his troops in into a fight he knows is probably not going to end very well and a lot of the troops get killed so uh Jin sneaks in and poisons them to protect the soldiers from fighting a losing battle you know he turns the tide in their favor with this pretty gruesome tactic but it works and Lord Shimura doesn't take take kindly to that and he gets exiled for it. Jin gets exiled for it. But, you know, that sort of play of Jin wanting to protect his people, but also live up to his uncle's expectations and then kind of think about what would make his father's spirit proud. And all of that really plays into his emotional journey throughout the plot. And it's it elevates it above just being 
a fight the bad guy and defeat him type plot. Totally. It all it all works super well. And I found it honestly worked through gameplay where a lot of that first island I was running in like doing the samurai duels and stuff, which we didn't mention in the beginning, but I love that one strike, you know, stuff you can do, the standoff stuff. Really cool. It reminds me of the um the standoff stuff in Red Dead where you had to pull the gun at the right time. It's very similar. You know, getting these one 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 strike kills, and um, playing a lot of game like that. But then, once I got to the second and third islands, I started stealthing a lot more. So I felt like even my gameplay matched his story, which it doesn't have to for everybody. But it just felt it just gave me this connection to it that I really appreciated. But as you level up, you also unlock more stealth tactics, like the wind chime and the, I mean, like the sticky bombs and the kunai are very good at being close range but things like the black powder bomb and the wind chime especially are not ideal in a close combat uh style they're very much designed for you to be either at a distance especially with like the bow and stuff or just to be completely stealthed and to deal with them that way so the way the game rewards that kind of stuff and then the more you level up it gives you more options for that it follows the story of him adapting these tactics more as he goes. But it also doesn't leave the combat stuff, you know, behind. You can also upgrade that stuff. You can get more more combos and stuff, which is cool. Um, you get one of one of my favorite armors at the end of the game, which is the, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but it's basically his father's armor, which allows you to do more strikes in the standoff. Like, by the end of it, you can, like, kill, like, seven people that way. Which for some of the yeah, smaller the encampments is all of them. Yeah. Which is super satisfying and cool. Also, I love how in each area the enemies get harder to deal with that way. Like towards the third area they'll flinch at you and stuff. It's really satisfying and cool and fun to have to read their moment their movements and hit at the right time. Yeah, it's really satisfying to pull off as well. Yeah, for sure. And you know, but then also giving you like the ghost armor, which uh, makes you better at stealth and decreases the amount of kills you need to, you know, activate your devil trigger. Um, I refuse to call it by its actual name. The ghost dance? Yeah. That stuff is super cool, and I I really appreciated it. You know what? Let, let's actually talk about... Oh, this is a character. I can't remember her name. Oh, no. I'm a liar. The, the sort of, like, the... She's like a caretaker? Yuriko? Yuriko. Shout out to Yuriko. Did you do those side quests? Yeah, those are depressing as fuck. Those are dark, and they're good. Like, I, it was the only moment that the game got me emotionally. Um, I was like, I was like tearing up because at the end of those quests, um, when she refers to you as Lord Shimra, and you realize, oh, her dementia is just at, at 11. It's fucking awful. It's really depressing. Yeah, she refers to you, and pretends not pretends but she believes that you're not jin sakai you're kazumasa sakai your dad who you know definitely spent a lot of time teaching yuriko a lot of what she knew and then also just kind of she grew up with this family so she had a really close relationship to jin's father so then as this sort of dementia kicks in she's just reminiscing about the thing she does remember which is all with Jin's dad and she talks to Jin as if he's his father instead oh, and that final scene where Jin just accepts it and 
talks as if he was his father. Oh, it's so, it's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad, and it's also very heavily implied that she was having an affair with his father and that she might be Jin's mother. Like, they're talking about, um, you know, she's talking about, oh, the best, one of the best days of my life was taking care of little Jen, and which it just, it breaks your heart. It's so sad. And, like, I think, shout out to the, you know, the actor, whoever, was doing the motion capture on Jen because, like, they nailed it. Like, the animation on his face is so, as he's realizing all this stuff, is so good. Yeah, and then that, the way that the side quests play out where there's not a lot of combat there's maybe like one or two combat sequences in her side quests and it's mainly because you're just exploring old graveyards of all the families you know her family and the sakai clan graveyard and then also the shimura clan graveyard you're just reminiscing about the past and who's been lost over the years and she's kind of not aware of a lot of that it's really quite heartbreaking and in the end when she goes to her own family's graveyard and then passes while talking to Jin, and then he buries her it's mm-hmm. so heartbreaking it's heartbreaking but it's also it's one of those things where it's heartbreaking but it's also sweet and pleasant and it's just it's one of those moments and it's just it's just so nice and great writing on that and then another similar one was to the the lady masako one that's not even part of her storyline which is weird but where you go to uh canada beach again the first set piece and you go there with her looking for her dead sons also very heartbreaking um you know you're sort of wandering this this battlefield looking for her banner and there is when you find them and they're strung up that actor in the English version, at least, gives a wail that is like one of the worst I've ever heard. It really hurt me. Like, it's so well acted and so depressing, and really gets across the emotion um, for this character. And honestly, gives her story some even more context. It's I find it weird that it's not even included in her like main arc. Yeah, that mission especially was really, really rough. And then when you do go back to her quests, and she's just sitting at the at the graves of either her sons or her husband or any of that you just like she's like i'm i need a minute and jin's totally respectful of that he's like i completely understand i'll come find me when you need more help and just lets her grieve there for a minute it's it's really touching and you know she is she's pretty hardened now and she's very set on revenge but when that sort of illusion that hardened illusion falls she's very very upsetting um one of the pause tip pause screen tips you know when the game's loading uh talks about how she disarmed a bandit with kind words but she's turned on that now now that you know her whole family and extended family is dead like but you can kind of tell especially in that mission at the beach where you know, she did really care about her family and she would look after all of them. But now that they're gone, she doesn't really have a lot to care for. So she's, you know, kind of just distant from all that. She just wants revenge. So by the end of the missions, when she sort of comes around to, okay, I have to protect Jin and the island now rather than just my family. I think that 
that was definitely powerful and that's what makes me like her side quest the most honestly oh yeah she's she's one of those characters that's very complicated and not always right you know it's it's what i liked about a lot of the characters from the last of us right where it's like this character is not 100 percent a good guy there's there's points at her story where you're like ooh, this is um you've gone too far or you weren't always good in the past and you know uh maybe you shouldn't have sent your sister off with a dude without looking into it right like there's so many moments to her story where like oh you weren't always great you're you know you can be great but not always and i I just really respect that level of writing and that complication i think that's why yeah and same with same with sensei yeah absolutely and i think that stuff is why i pointed out why i wish the mongols got just slightly more attention is because i like that stuff that sort of back and forth that sort of like yeah you're the villains but maybe there's something else here too i i really appreciate that when stories can do that um and i think her her tale is such a great great thing because you you know we're not showing all the details. If we weren't showing some of those details, you could easily think she's a villain. And I think that's cool. Um, or not necessarily that she's a villain, but to, she's gone too far and needs to be stopped, right? Um, and I think that's what also makes that duel with her very powerful. Yeah, well, and playing that that duel especially, and then towards the end when she fights her sister and all of that, where especially when you like start a quest and you go up and she's talking to people and it's like a heated argument and then you go in and you're like okay calm down yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna go talk to them because i'm the calm voice um all of that sort of plays into her character being being very complicated like you said but also i think the early mission set up that you really care for her and you really like when i got to that battle against her I initially just only blocked attacks and I didn't strike back because I'm like, I don't want to hurt this character. I care for her too much. And yeah, you defeat her, but she's still fine. And then you pick her back up on her feet and be like, okay, we're going to do this calmly and we're still going to get your revenge, but you got to calm down about it. You know, Jin still really cares for her and really cares about her emotions, but just not in that way. Right, not the way that he's willing to let her potentially kill innocent people, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's good shit, for sure, for sure. Yeah, really good character writing for these characters, maybe. And like, Sensei and Tomoe, you know, you're all against Tomoe, but then when it starts getting too far, and you're like, oh, maybe she's not too bad, and like, oh, well, if we do need to stop her, is Sensei going to be able to do that? all of that playing into yeah i care about him and i care about him helping me and helping him with his problem but then making sure it gets resolved nicely and not necessarily the way that he wants it i really like how those stories play out oh yeah for sure and like even characters like uh rizzo the 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 straw hat ronin who portrays you like even getting his backstory where they're talking about the duel that Jin you know barely thought about but that kind of kind of messed up his life and made him have to become a ronin right um like that stuff is really cool and i love seeing that character stuff in there yeah well i love that ryuzo he turns on you but he's not malicious about it you know he's still he's just caring for his men his fellow ronin because they need food and they need money and the he's getting paid by the mongols and you even get to see that in a scene that doesn't involve uh Jin at all but it's where they're staking out the 
the castle in the second area and the Khan forces Ryuzo to burn people alive and you see his hesitation and he's like screaming at the people to surrender so that he doesn't have to burn people. That really makes him a lot more sympathetic than just this betraying asshole. Uh, that was really great. And then when you finally do that final showdown and Jin's constantly telling him to back down and, and he'll spare him and he, and they don't. And it's really tragic. It's all really well written. Oh, for sure. Well, we're coming to the end. Is there anything you want to make note of? Uh, I want to mention the foxes. Foxes are really great. Shout out to the foxes. It made me really sad when I found a shrine and then the fox wasn't there afterward and I couldn't pet it. I know. Where to go? Come back. I, I know. Want, Sucker I want, punch I want cowards. Let me pet them at every shrine, not just some of them. Or just let them stop when I'm following them and I'll pet them and then we can continue walking. Let me pet the... Pet the foxes more. Um, I also really loved the uh, the hallucination dart. I thought that was a really cool thing to include. It's been used in a couple other games. Like I know Bioshock has a plasmid that does that, but just letting the enemies turn on each other, it's a really good way of staying out of combat, but dealing with a large number of enemies than just shooting one at a time. I thought that was really cool. Especially when you like shoot an archer with the poison arrows in the later half of the game and they start taking out dudes and they can take out like three or four before they end up getting killed. I thought that was super cool. Um, One other thing was the optional abilities. The main one being the longbow. That is just completely skippable. Um, I didn't do all of the mythic quests. The only one I really did was one for an armor set. And then the other one that got me the Heavenly Strike. Um, I know you did all of them. So what do you think about those optional abilities? Um, the abilities are all great. The Mythic Quests I found were hit or miss. Some of them, I really like the ones that were like, put a bunch of objectives on the world and you could just do them whenever. Um, like there's a bunch of samurai fights in the second area that you can just go to and do whenever you want. Um, there's another one too. Um, yeah, the one I, I did that. was the Gosaku armor, and that one you can just do. There's like a bunch of uh, farming villages yes. that you have to go rescue, so you can just bounce across all of them if you want as you go. Yes, totally. Uh, the issue I had with a lot of these quests is they, honestly, sadly, I think it's the guiding wind is part of the problem here, is they give you a large area and tell you to go, hey, go find the specific patch of flowers and then go find where that flowers is leading you but they give you such a wide area to look in it just, i just found it frustrating a lot of the time like i'm following smokestacks and trying to find the thing and it, it just a lot of them i found to be unfortunately a little boring uh really cool animated sequences beforehand and i think the rewards are great but yeah some of them i, I just didn't like um i did like there's one at the very end in the last area where you get the the flaming sword that some of the Mongols have, you get a you get a rock so you can ignite your sword, and it becomes a resource like on the D pad, like on the same menu that the the smoke bombs and the kunai are on, so you have to collect them and so you can do it more. Uh, that mission's super cool and it's super different because you have to climb a mountain, but you have to uh, you have to find fires to stand next to, otherwise you'll freeze to death. So it becomes this platforming game of figuring out where the next fire is and finding out how to get up there as fast as you can while avoiding things like bears and stuff. And Yeah, you know, that find, is actually super cool. Yeah, you, along the way you'll find like skeletons of people who've tried to climb the mountain before with notes and stuff. It's it's just a really nice 
nice different take on that style of mission. It felt like it used different mechanics and stuff. And the reward at the end is pretty dope, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, the Mythic Quests, they're also weird because I imagine if you're playing in Kurosawa mode, they'd be frustrating because like a good amount of them tell you to go find a specific color of flower. Which yeah, is I could see that being frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, I, I feel like like half of those I was not particularly enjoying. Yeah, another thing I wanted to bring up was the the sword battles the most of them are the boss fights where you fight against a really strong enemy and you're trapped just focusing on that one enemy it reminds me a lot of the game fury f-u-r-i that game you'll enter into a close combat thing and you have to parry and block and make sure you're you know staying on top of it i thought those were really great fights i love fury also so it's kind of expected that I like that kind of stuff but the way that it forces you to read these enemy patterns and the way that you can even break some of the enemy patterns if you're aggressive enough I really liked that the big example is the the one that where you fight Ryuzo right after he betrays you he'll do the thing where he puts his sword in his sheath and he's like preparing for a big strike. If you just attack him while he's doing that, it'll completely break that attack animation. And I love that because you can, you know, hang back and get ready to dodge it or parry it. I believe if you have that ability, but if you get really aggressive, you can just, you know, cancel that and not have to worry about it and then block when he retaliates. I loved those fights. Um, There's a couple optional ones with some of the Mongol leaders as well. And I thought those were super cool. Um, yeah, those fights were cool. What did you think about those? Yeah, I loved it every time that happened. And they were always very challenging, but I, I never felt frustrated by them. Like, I was always ready for it. I was always like, okay, one more time, one more time, and eventually I would win. And I, I, I respect the level of challenge that those brought. Um, You know, it, it's very much a different mode while also using the skills you've learned from the normal game. It's just the sword fighting, but it places such importance on it. Right, you have yeah. to Yeah, well and the camera so works a lot better attention. for it as well, so Oh for sure. And because it's one enemy, you're locked onto them. <laughs> um so yeah. but you know, they disable all your throwables and stuff because it is like a samurai duel. So Yeah, it's a one on one fight. You're not gonna cheese it with sticky bombs or whatever. Yeah, but and that also just plays into the theming, right? You it would be dishonorable, which is cool. And also I love by the way how they break that in the final moments with the con. You have a couple of those duels with him. But the end, the end blow is not within one of those duels because he is not fighting fair anymore. So you don't, which I thought was a cool little thematic beat through gameplay. Yeah, um, I actually think I killed him with a sticky bomb. So, <laughs> oh, pretty great. Um, I have another couple positives, and then I have a my big negative. Uh, this game actually does really great trailing missions. I know this is a huge thing, and we've brought up Assassin's Creed a couple times, but I have played a couple Assassin's Creed games where the trailing missions are just awful, and they're so boring, and they're either needlessly difficult or just so mindless. I loved the trailing missions in this game. The way that it... uh, This also plays into the other thing of the way the open world has all of these little hidden levels inside of them. So when you get into a mission where you have to trail a guy, you're going through the same path you probably already have gone through in the open world. 
but now you're thinking about it more as a level where there's these patches of grasses or logs overhead that you have to stay out of sight in and all of that just planning around this environment that you wouldn't think of in that way without this mission. I thought that was really smartly designed. Yeah, I I agree. And I I think if you're going to put trailing missions in your game, make sure you have generous checkpoints, which this game does do. Because no matter what, you're going to get caught a couple of times. And I really appreciated the checkpointing. I felt like it saves that stuff. Which, Which has been the problem with Assassin's Creed in the past. Was that you'd have to restart the whole mission when you got caught. And it's like, well, I don't feel like that's fair. Um, well, and people have played Breath of the Wild and did that fucking stealth shrine in the Korok forest. God, God, that was... This sucked so bad. So to see this sort of work in that way... Um, and, you know, the enemy detection is pretty forgiving <laughs> just across the entire game. So to have that there as well was... You know, it worked really well. And I found myself enjoying them, which surprised me. Um, This invisible level design plays into a lot of the open world as well, where you'll get a quest that requires you to think about the open world in a way that you don't if you're just exploring, or you'll get to things like the shrines that will give you the charms. Those are all these like... challenges. Yeah, they're just platforming challenges, but sometimes it's like, yeah, this isn't something that would organically fit in the open world, but we hear it is to do... Um, the other thing was one of the shrine, I think it's the, um, the mythic quest to get the longbow. You find the area and it's this island, but you have to climb down this massive cliff. So trying to find, you know, sort of the climb down points and then figuring out your route, your route, and then there's enemies or whatever, but all of that sort of thinking about the environment in that way, instead of, you know, wind points you in that direction get on your horse hold forward until you get there i thought all of that was really well integrated yeah i I agree i think the world design is pretty pretty great you know i i would say with the exception of some of the larger indoor buildings like i said earlier fighting in those just isn't fun but that's that's pretty rare i'd say you spend 90 percent of your time outside so it's totally fine yeah my biggest biggest gripe with this game or did you have a positive before I get into that? Uh, well, kinda. I think it's interesting. I do think it ended up having some negative effects. I didn't really mention this in the intro. I w- wish I had. Um, it's weird. This game feels like it still has some Sly Cooper DNA in it. Like, like there's some weird code in there. Um, specifically with how you attach to wires and shit. Like, it Sly Cooper had this very much like you jump up and press a button and he'd magnetize to stuff and he'd just be stuck on there. And that was fine in the 3D platformer where you you have very floaty jumps, so it's okay, you can correct that. There were times in this game where I just felt like I need to get off this wire and onto this roof and I couldn't get Jin to do it properly. And, and I just felt like it hindered some of it. It hindered some of the flow. But it is interesting. Like, it, like genuinely, I'm like, I want to boot up Sly Cooper because this feels like that, which is weird. Yeah, I didn't notice that at all, mainly because I just rarely encountered wires at all, but... Oh, every time I could get on a rooftop, I did. Yeah, sometimes jumping between roofs was just, like, frustrating, (laughs) and sometimes the jump wasn't long enough, or there just weren't enough grappling hook spots. That's a thing that's in this game, is there's a grappling hook, but it's so sparsely used that it's not nearly as engaging as it would be if you were given more use for it, um... 
which is fine. You know, it's it's cool when you do get to use it, but it seems very situational. Yeah, so my my big negative with this game, and it's the reason that I didn't go for the uh, Kenji or the Norio quests, is that the mission structure is so repetitious and boring (laughs) like it's it's engaging to for the plot wise and i enjoyed that but most of the missions boil down to you go to the mission marker you see something that happens there and then you follow some footprints to the next area you fight some guys and then that's pretty much it um you know you'll ride on a horse and talk to your buddy or you'll fight a guy a group of guys here maybe you'll stealth here it all felt really repetitious and part of that is because i did all of those uh character quests kind of in a row so i could see all that but also it's just not a mission structure i'm very interested in so when it was like oh here's six more for norio and three more for kenji i'm like nah, i think i'm done with the game actually yeah i think that's fair and that's just kind of honestly an issue with just open world design i think when you're creating these massive very detailed environments you just some things have to fall by the wayside um they don't have the luxury of like a last of us part two or a uh doom eternal you know where they can everything can always be unique so you'll never get bored unfortunately i think when you when you've been creating this big world and you have to fill it out you just it's just going to happen to have that, you know, to be a little shitty copy and paste design. Um, and I just think it's kind of unavoidable with games like this. Like I can't, like there are very, very rarely do these games ever stay truly unique throughout every quest. Um, I, I think they have to kind of succeed on their gameplay. And if you get bored of that and you don't want to finish them, that's just the way it is. Right. It's, it's just an unfortunate reality of the genre. Yeah, and I completely understand that. And huge kudos to Sucker Punch for, you know, it's maybe the same mission structure of you go to the mission marker, you ride to the actual area where the mission takes place, you fight some guys, mission ends, cool. They do spin that a little bit where some of them are, you'll do things in a different order or it'll require stealth in a certain area or you'll do a bunch of small battles in any order that you want. Like, um, there's one in Ishikawa's, I think it's actually split into two side missions, but there's different camps where you can, like, tackle in any order. I like that kind of stuff, but when you have a game with a lot of writing and a lot of scripting for the characters, having a very open mission structure is kind of an impossibility. You know, because the missions in, uh, in breath of the wild for example are so open and so they just allow you to take whatever tactic you want and i love that as a player but the characters in those missions are not nearly as engaging as the ones in this game and i think that having to do both a complex character with a lot of dialogue and a very open mission structure is kind of an impossibility you know, someone will figure it out, but like it's, it's really, really difficult, and I completely understand that. And for this game, I think the, I think this sort of scripted mission structure works better. I don't think an open mission structure is kind of what this game would work with. So, I definitely see the reason for it. It's just when I got to, 
you know, doing a bunch of them in a row, it got really repetitious for me. And I was like, okay, yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, you know, and that's that's totally a fair criticism. It's just, you know, it, it's because you're absolutely right. If you want these scripted sections, you can't do the Breath of the Wild thing. Which, you know, to be fair, that trade-off is Breath of the Wild does not... This might be controversial, I don't know. I don't think Breath of the Wild has an interesting story at all. I think it's a great game, but, like, I don't... You know, I don't... Well, I all of the interesting characters in that game are in scripted, mostly uninteractive cutscenes. Yeah, they're cutscenes. They're backstory, right? So, like, it's, you know, it's a trade-off that, that if you're going to make an open-world game, you just have to decide what you're going to go with. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate and... And I'm sure someday somebody will break that mold and create the perfect narrative experience with all the variety in the biggest open world ever. And it'll fucking probably be Naughty Dog. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 you know, it's, it, it just is what it is. Like it's the genre and it, you know, I, I totally get it. And I will say the one moment where I completely agree with you on the one quest is that, uh, lady masaka quest on on the beach where like you do this it's an incredibly emotional scene and then you go to the lighthouse and there are fucking mongols there and it's like i wish you had had some restraint here and not put any combat because i feel like it would have just made this quest stick out even more um so you know like i feel like that sort of repetitious style did get in the way at least in that quest for me yeah, well, in some of those Yuriko quests as well, where you go to a graveyard and oh there's God, just the first one, yeah, there's just dudes there for some reason. It's like we don't really need this. I'm already invested in the character enough that I'm like, yeah, I'll sacrifice some gameplay moments to be more in depth with the character. So when it's like, okay, here's the combat, it's like, eh, okay, <laughs> it doesn't really fit. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well. All right, um, we didn't mention how Sucker Punch are fucking cowards for not showing us that samurai dick, you know? <laughs> this is a weird complaint, but yeah, I get it. You know, I, I'm just saying, <laughs> they, they, make, they take a lot of care to make sure. That he's pointed away from the camera. <laughs> Did you see, I put on Twitter, um, you get the reward for finding all the hot springs that you get a, you get no arbor. <laughs> or he's just in his his loincloth cloth. yeah it's very funny oh you know what i want to say i love the cheesy ass haikus did you do any of those yeah i did quite a few of those actually the a lot of them were pretty cheesy but there was one there was one that i got like really choked up about and i can't remember what it is now but that one was good the rest are pretty cheesy though oh yeah i i hundred percent of mine were cheesy, but I, I just loved it. I was like, this is so goofy. I, I kind of, I would, I kind of love the audacity of it. Um, you know, the smallest complaint here for me, there was a couple of them where they would look at a completely overexposed white sky and I would not be able to read what, what the, the option was. Um, but that was, that was pretty rare, but yeah, let's, um, let's discuss the ending real quick. How did you, how did you handle Lord? Uh, well, how did you handle Lord Shimura? Uh, I did spare him at the end. I did as well. That was well. my choice. Yeah. Um, and my reasoning for that was uh, Jin is rejecting these old ways and he doesn't want... I don't see him as a character wanting to kill his family, even if that is tradition, which he no longer cares about because he has become the ghost. And I, I thought that that was the more thematic choice to make. Yeah, for sure. And 
either way, either choice, like the post game will just be him still being hunted by the Shogun. So it's like, it doesn't super matter. I guess it's mainly like that ending cutscene, but yeah, that was definitely one where, you know, this is his only living father figure really. And to kill him was, you know, he was already really torn up about having to fight him and you get the flashbacks with him and as a kid and training with his uncle and all that. So having to kill him was going to be really tragic, but then having the option to be like, yeah, I could give you a warrior's death, but that is tradition that I already don't give a shit about. So I'm going to spare you because I still care, care about you. It's just our lives are so separate now. Yeah. And I love how they frame that choice where it's not like, Hey, do you want to be evil or good? It's like, no, do you want to give him what he wants or do you want to continue on this path that you have created for yourself? And I, I just thought that was really nice and I think both choices make sense, um, which is cool. And also, shout out, this is maybe the only game where a surprise choice at the end actually uh, actually was cool because I normally hate that in video games when at the end, like if a game that has no choices, they give you a choice. I feel like this is one of the few where I went, where I just thought like this is this is actually a really dope ending like I really appreciated it. Yeah, because the whole game is more about his internal struggle of you know disobeying tradition and using these tactics that while gruesome are getting more results than you know the samurai's ways. So then when he has to turn on his uncle, which it, at this point is more of a representation of tradition he has to turn on that and then you know take him out essentially it's like you know in a way it's by disobeying tradition you're acknowledging it but by not acknowledging it you're disobeying it more and yeah that that last fight scene was also really difficult i died a couple times during that fight but yeah that moment was super great yeah for sure Let's um, let's 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 do a little speculation here. Do you think there'll be a Ghost of Tsushima too? You know, I think. I don't think it'll specifically be a Ghost of Tsushima two, because. I think if they do anything with this, it'll be, either a different setting with different characters or just different characters with a similar setting and just a completely different story that's why um when we were talking about prophecy at the beginning i thought you know that might actually come back as a you know ghosts of london or some shit where it's the same gameplay and a similar feel but it's a completely different setting and characters and all that i could see that working for them as a thematic difference for a series rather than following up on a story just because i think Jin's story is done at this point so you think that they're gonna start trying to trying to eat assassin's creed lunch <laughs> <laughs> you know i think assassin's creed are still too tied together like i think this would just be completely different interesting interesting so 
just for a bit of context, there was in actual history a second Mongol invasion not that long after the first one, like 10 years or something. So they could go back to that well. Like the history would allow for it, even though, you know, this the Mongol invasion actually happened, but um, the Mongols apparently were actually driven off by a storm and not, you know, a lone samurai or whatever. <laughs> Which is in the game, you know, there's yeah. that storm at the at the end of the game that Jin uses to stop them from leaving but i guess that was more of a thing in, in reality than yeah I, I thought it was super cool by the way that they they had that storm there to almost feel like they're you know they're recognizing the actual history and using it for this historical history fiction i mean it's also just climactic as hell to have a thunderstorm yeah, of course of course and also the thunderstorms in this game look great yeah i, I think that they could they could just do another tsushima you know mongol invasion story they could go to the mainland japan um, there's a moment in this game after when we get to the third act where I had a legitimate thought that they were going to kill Jin and we're going to play the rest of the game as Yuna. And I'll be honest, I was a little bummed when that didn't happen. Not that I don't love Jin as a character, but I'm like, oh, it'd be kind of dope to play the rest of this as Yuna. Or even just like a small mission, like if we were rescuing Jin. Yeah, because at that point, Jin sneaks out of the Shogun's control. So he does that himself. If you were to play as Yuna and sneak him out, like that that could have been cool but you know you have to design the character and make the character feel different and you know we talked about that in last of us one where playing as ellie didn't feel a whole lot different and it's a whole other thing i understand why they wouldn't want to do that but you know if they have time for a sequel and want to branch that out you said this was the second invasion was 10 years after that it was something like it was not you know it was nine or ten years i want to say i mean be a bit inaccurate in my history but you know all these characters would be alive. Yeah, well, because Jin and Yuna go off to, you know, sort of live in exile afterwards. Like, maybe they have a a son who they have to protect in a sequel or, you know, there's there's options they could do. I could I would definitely be on board for whatever they do. But I think just branching out the story and not trying to make it more than it needs to be and having the same core mechanics, like gameplay mechanics and do a different setting or a different time period or something like that would definitely that could definitely be a cool angle to do that would be cool but i like what you just said there because if you think about it the way they've set up this history in this world the ghost of tsushima is infamous so what if the second mongol invasion it's for revenge because he's killed so many mongols i i don't know it's an interesting thought it's an interesting thought oh like there. the next the next leader is out for revenge for killing yeah this like, invasion or, or maybe it's just like a you know like a like a section of the army you know while the while the main force is you know trying to again invade japan maybe maybe it's just a a small section of the army is now hunting jin and yuna that could be interesting just for personal reasons that could be cool yeah those are all interesting thoughts i you know i would love to see another competitor to assassin's creed because i i really like those games but i i feel like sometimes competition can can help make everything better so I, I would also like to see that i think you know that leaked footage of prophecy which again i would you know encourage anybody listening to this to check out maybe if you have time you could put that in the show notes for this episode uh, yeah i'll put it in the episode description you can find it there and yeah i'll, I'll send to that you article. the link to that i'll send you that and the link to the kind of funny podcast too because people should listen to that as well um it's you know i i, I would like to see that come back too i think that that had a cool look at the very least <laughs> And, you know, I, 
cancel projects are so interesting in video games because I think so rarely do they ever come back, but it could be pretty hyped to see that. Oh, All yeah, right. for sure. Um, anything else you want to get out before we wrap it up? Uh, nope. I just want to say that the, you know, thanks for listening as always. The next episode will be Crash 1, and then we'll do 2, 3, and 4 when it comes out. And then that's their schedule for pretty much the rest of the year. We'll have a couple games after that, but, you know, stay stay on the Twitter. We'll keep you posted. Yep. When we talk about that Orange Rodent, and I love him so much, I cannot wait. Cannot wait. Crash 4 is looking amazing. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter, at DustinHDragon. Where can they follow you, Connor? Uh, I'm at Brickmaster03, and then we have at SaveStationPod for the the actual podcast feed you know talk about the show tweet about the show i know we got a couple people out there tweeting about it super great thank you for doing that um yeah yeah you know it helps us out absolutely you know tell your friends they like book clubby video game podcasts that's that's what we're aiming for you know and always of course leave us feedback if you want um i would be happy to read it and incorporate it all right well this has been our ghosts of tsushima episode of safe station radio and i hope you all have a nice day yep take care <laughs>